All right, we're going to jump into uh, our message today. We're starting a new Christmas series entitled The Broken Family Tree. Now, what is the best part of Christmas outside of Jesus coming to earth? What is the best part? And the answer is very simple. It is family because you get to have an opportunity once a year where normally everybody gets together. You get to spend time with your family, your loved ones, your relatives. A lot of you have traditions that you have established for uh, generations, maybe even after generation. And it's just a wonderful time. How many of you love getting together with your family at Christmas time? Absolutely. All right. Now, what's the worst part about Christmas? Family, right? Because family can be crazy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you get together. I mean, most of us, if we were honest, right, our hope is for, in fact, somebody, I will not name names, said there was no fights at Thanksgiving this last weekend. I won't say who said that, Brother Loki. <clears throat> Anyways, so how many of you know, like, you get together, family can be crazy. There's a lot of chaos associated with family. Now, Charity and I, as I was talking about traditions a second ago, Charity and I have a tradition that we have established at our, our house that the Sunday or the Saturday, Sunday after Thanksgiving, we normally almost put up the Christmas decorations, and we watch Christmas Vacation while we put up the, va- the uh, Christmas decorations. Now, how many of you guys love Christmas Vacation? Great movie. Hands are going up everywhere. I have yet to meet someone who does not like the movie Christmas Vacation. And the reason why I think why everybody likes Christmas Vacation is, is because it is about a dysfunctional family, and we can all relate to that at some level. Just the chaos of Christmas. My favorite scene in that movie is when they're standing there. They have just said grace where the lady said the Pledge of Allegiance instead of prayed. And then they go to cut open the turkey, and it's just steam comes out, you know, and there's no bird left, and, uh, <laughs> and Cousin Eddie says, save the neck for me, Clark, you know, it's a great movie, why? Because family can be chaotic, and we can all identify with that. You know who else can identify with a crazy family? And that person is Jesus. This morning, we're, we need to understand the purpose of Christmas, and the purpose of Christmas is entirely about celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ coming to bring peace to humanity through living a life that you and I could not live and then dying the death that we owe for our sins at the cross. Then Jesus rose on the third day, and when he rose, we too can have new life. The concept of God coming to earth as a man is mind-boggling. It's hard to wrap our minds around. But what's even more amazing to me, when you start reading through Jesus's genealogy, when you read through his, his family tree, is that you find very quickly that this is a broken family tree. There are two gospels that give Jesus's lineage, Matthew and the book of Luke. And when you start to look through this lineage, it is tracing his Masonic roots all the way back to Abraham. And what you see is that there were many people in his family tree that were broken people who desperately needed a savior. They were in the family tree of Jesus's lineage, but they needed Christmas just as much as you and I do. I want to read you just a small portion of his lineage in Matthew chapter one, verses one through six. Forgive me for butchering some of these names, but it's important to, to, to highlight one individual out of this this morning. 
Starting in verse number one, it says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah the, by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Abinadad, and Abinadad, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. Now, there's an interesting name in there, and I paused, Rahab. You know, in the series, we're, we're looking at different individuals, and we're going to see how they needed Christmas. And the first person that we're going to look at probably would surprise you when you start seeing that this person's in the family tree of Jesus. And that person is Rahab. Now, you may know about Rahab, you may not, but we're going we're gonna to look at her life, and you'll find some very interesting things. But here's what I want you to see from the very beginning. Rahab teaches us that Christmas is the gospel of second chances. If Christmas has one characteristic above everything else, if the coming of Jesus to the earth was to teach us about anything, it was that Christmas is about second chances. Now, Rahab is an interesting woman, to say the least. She was the great-great-great-grandmother of King David. You may have heard of him, the, the man who slayed Goliath. She's the only woman outside of Sarah mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. She's the only of two women named in Jesus' genealogy. And furthermore, she wasn't even a Jew. She was a Gentile. Now, the last piece of this awkward puzzle for her life, if you were to look at the genealogy of Jesus and you were to put people in there, Rahab probably wouldn't be who we'd make the cut. But the last piece is even more awkward is that she was a prostitute. So what did this woman, this Gentile prostitute do that caught the attention of God, if you will, that, that this woman that, that did something so spectacular that God said, this person is going to go into my son's genealogy. The answer is very simple. She was a woman of faith. Now, I'm going to read you a large portion of Scripture in order to get the scope and sequence of the life of Rahab. So please bear with me as we do that. But if you'd like, you can turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter number 2. And we're going to read most of the chapter because this is quite a long story and we need to see it in its context to have a full understanding of what's going on. Joshua chapter number two, and we're going to start reading in verse number one. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two spies secretly to Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came to the house of a prostitute by the name of Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hid them, and she said, Too true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was shut to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you might overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them under the stalks of flax, and she has laid them on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. 
Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and the fear of you has fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you as you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Shion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God of the heavens above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our lives for yours, even to death. If you do not tell the business, this business of ours, then the, when the Lord God gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let, down a, let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go on your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into this land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather your house, your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if... A hand is laid upon anyone who is in your house, his blood shall be on our hands. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she let them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Now, this is a very interesting account that we see what is going on here. This account happened roughly 40 years after the Exodus, where God led the people of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt, to take them to this promised land. And now Moses is the Lord, is the, Joshua is Moses' successor, rather, and he is commissioned as the man to lead the people of Israel into the promised land that God had promised to them by being descendants of Abraham, for they were Hebrews and Israelites. And the Israelites were now on the bank of the river Jordan, and it was separating them from the promised land. And this is what the people have been waiting 400 years for. They have been in slavery for 400 years. They have been wandering around in the desert for the last 40 years. And now Joshua is the man who's going to lead them into the promised land. Joshua is a man of wisdom, sends spies into the land to get a war plan and is wisdom because even though God has given them this land, it would be foolish just to rush into it without having some clarity of what they needed to do. So the spies are sent to scope out the land and they go to Jericho and they end up staying in what would be most likely a brothel ran by this woman named Rahab. It's important to note here that they're not going there for immoral reasons. They are not going there to have uh, sexual immorality encounters with this woman. Rather, they're going there simply because they needed some place to stay and they needed to be discreet. They end up sleeping on the roof. And what's interesting from this account is that this woman, Rahab, who is called a prostitute, 
uh, ends up saving their lives from certain death of this king, and she helps them to get back to Joshua, and in the process, she negotiates the physical salvation of her family, and in the process, also the spiritual salvation of her soul. So Rahab is more than a prostitute. We see instantly that she is a woman of faith, and her faith in God is ultimately what positions her to be a part of the redemption plan of God. And here's the big idea of this message, and it's the first point. And I gave it to you a moment ago. Rahab teaches us that faith in the good news, faith in the coming of Jesus Christ, ultimately gives us a second chance. Faith gives us a second chance. Now, we need to address something very important here. This passage might be a little bit awkward for us because God is sending the Israelites into the promised land to conquer the land. They're meant to launch war against the people of Canaan. And we need to understand that God is using Israelites, and he even gives them a very awkward command. He says that they are not to spare one of the people in the land of Canaan. Now, this seems harsh for us. I mean, it almost seems as if God is commissioning Israel to perform an ethnic cleansing. But we need to understand that that is not the purpose of what God is calling them to do. That God is sending them into this land not to conquer it because of the Canaanites' ethnicity. Rather, he's sending them to conquer it because of their wickedness. The people of Canaan were a wicked people who were doing wicked things, and God was bringing judgment upon their wickedness. God was not giving the land to Israel because Israel was righteous. Rather, he was giving the land to Israel because he intended to make them righteous through his son, Jesus Christ. And the reason why this is important to understand is because there's there's theological significance for us. In the Bible, we like to identify with the heroes. That's why we like to champion King David, who slayed Goliath. We like to talk about Samson, who took on all kinds of people. We like to identify with Paul or Peter or one of the other apostles. However, it's safer for us to identify with the villains. God was bringing destruction on the Canaanites because they lived in wickedness and their evil sin had brought upon judgment. And Rahab saw this, and Rahab understood this. She saw the wickedness of her homeland. She saw that God was about to bring judgment. And what the Bible tells us in the New Testament was that she had this faith that God commended her for. It was her faith that separated her from everyone else who lived in Canaan. Destruction and punishment were coming, but her faith in God gave her this second chance. And here's something we need to understand, church, is so important. Apart from God, we are all sinners and judgment is coming upon us. The most famous passage of Scripture probably in all time is John 3.16. We all know it. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We stop there, but verses 17 and 18 are just as significant. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Christmas is not about Jesus coming to condemn the world. What Scripture makes abundantly clear is that we were already condemned to begin with. Why? Because we were living apart from God. So Rahab, we can identify with her And we can identify with her culture because we were separated from God. 
And just as Rahab's faith saved her from the coming destruction, so too faith saves us from a coming destruction. Notice what Jesus said. God loved us enough to send Jesus to save us. This faith gives us that second chance. In my study for this passage, I learned something really interesting. Rahab is called a prostitute, but most likely by this point in her life, she has already had a life change. Look at the words that she says and she interacts with these spies. In verse 11, she confesses that God is the Lord God. She knew that God was the God of heaven and of earth. She knew the promise that God had given to Abraham, for she acknowledges that God had given the land of Canaanites to Israel. She knew the works of God and how he had led the Israelites out by a mighty hand and they had walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. She, her response was different from that of her countrymen. Her countrymen heard the same news that Rahab had heard, but they didn't, they didn't surrender to the Lord. They melted in fear. Rahab had a different reaction to the truth of who God was. She surrendered to God and there were other indications here that she had this life change. One of the commentators pointed out that the fact that she had the flax on top of the roof showed that she was trying to earn an alternate source of income. She had most likely left her life of prostitution behind. And so I believe by all the evidence, by the time the Israelite spies showed up at her inn, she was a believer in the one true Lord God. She had had this life change. This faith had rised up inside of her and it had caused her to live out a different life and a different path. And now she was looking for the deliverance from God. She was looking for the salvation And ultimately, she finds it. Here's how strong her faith was. Her faith caused her to sever the blood ties with her people. And it caused her to want to be adopted as a daughter of God. And we know the outcome. God does deliver her. She went from being a prostitute to a princess. And it's a beautiful story of redemption. But here's what this also teaches us. If a pagan prostitute can have a second chance on life through faith in God, then any of us can have a second chance on life through faith as well. Faith is the pathway to that second chance. Now catch this. Faith in of its own needs to be put into action in order for that second chance to become valid and become a reality. All of us do things because we believe them to be true. That's why I root for OU, because I believe every year this is their year to actually win a national championship. Now, my faith might be put into a, a bad team because I've been having a lot of faith for a lot of years and we don't seem to be getting any payoff, but I do have faith for that. It causes me to watch their games. I truly believe that head country barbecue sauce is the best barbecue sauce in the world, man. I put that stuff on cereal, so I eat it a lot, right? Watch this. Man, you should take note here. I believe my wife is the prettiest woman on the planet. That's why I suck up to her. Our faith, what we believe, causes us to take certain actions. Rahab, welcoming the spies, shows some faith in action. You see, you have to understand that in this day and age, in this time that she lived in, the innkeeper was responsible for reporting if spies showed up and stayed where they were at. And so by Rahab hiding the spies, she could have been killed herself. She's displaying that she truly believes that her salvation is going to lie with God, not with her people. And we see this action playing out. She has more fear and trust in the God of the Hebrews than she does for the king of Jericho. 
And saving faith always leads to action that confirms we truly believe something. A lot of people ask, what's the relationship between faith and works? And the answer is very simple. Works show what you really believe. And if you believe that second chances are ultimately found in faith in God, then your lifestyle is going to match that. You might be in a place today saying, I, I, I feel so far from God. The simple truth is all you have to do is come to him at any time and bend a knee and surrender to him. And you can have that second chance. That's what Christmas is all about. So from Rahab's story, first we see that faith in the gospel message gives the second chance, but we also see that faith in the gospel positions you for the provision of God. Faith in the gospel puts you under the providence of God. One thing I realized by studying this passage is that God's provision and his favor is absolutely amazing. I think there's a question we need to answer. How did Rahab hear about God? How did Rahab hear about them crossing the Red Sea? How did Rahab hear about God's promises? And you know what the answer is to that? Most likely Rahab heard about the truth of who God was from her clients. The Bible teaches that God works out all things for the good of those who love him. And I'm not trying to add to scripture by any means when I say this. This is just my opinion, my observation. But I've noticed that God a lot of times works out things for people who don't love him either. Think about God's love and mercy for Rahab. He makes sure in the middle of her life of sin that she hears the word of God before the spies ever come. What kind of grace and mercy is that from God? It's an abundance of grace and mercy. By the time the spies show up, Rahab is a believer, and God in his mercy has provided opportunity for her to get saved before the destruction comes. But here's the facts. Rahab said that all the people in Jericho knew what God had done. They had the same opportunity Rahab had, and yet they melted in fear. When the provision of God comes, don't run away from it. That's what the Bible says. It says today is the day of salvation. Don't wait to get your life right with God. Don't wait for God to do all the things that you need him to do before you come to him. Surrender him today and trust in him to provide what you need tomorrow. Rahab didn't wait until the spies came for her to get her life right with God. She got her life right when she heard about the truth. And she was ready for the provision when it showed up at her doorstep. God brought everything she needed. Think about this. What are the chances that the spies ended up at Rahab's house? Talk about the provision of God. Jericho was a large city. They could have ended up anywhere. If the spies, could have, if the spies would have ended up anywhere else other than Rahab's place, they probably would have ended up dead. God was working and providing on both sides of this equation. He was providing for Rahab. He provided the good news to her. He provided the means in which salvation was going to come to her house. But he was also the God of provision to the spies because he led them to the right place at the right time. Right now, some of you in this room might have a need. It might be a financial need. It might be a spiritual, emotional need. You might have a need in your family. You might have a need in your job. You might have a need in a relationship. Here's what I want you to know, that faith always makes a way. Faith isn't a magic wand that you get God to perform like a genie. 
We don't see that from Rahab or the spies. Rahab wasn't trying to manipulate God with her faith. Faith isn't a, a bargaining chip that you use, use with God. Rahab wasn't sitting in the corner telling God, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. No, none of those things were happening. Watch how this worked. Rahab had faith in God, so she left her life of prostitution behind, which caused her to look for an alternate source of income. So she starts putting this flax stalks on her roof. And then when, they, when the spies showed up and she needed some place to hide them, she hid them under those flax stalks. Notice how every little step of her obedience led to her getting the provision that she needed. Rahab's faith in the promises of God caused her to hide the spies, which opened a door for her family to be saved. There was no mention of a husband or kids in her life because she didn't have any yet. We know from Jesus's genealogy that Rahab was going to marry an Israelite man. One act of faith completely changed the outcome of her life. Not only did it change her life, but it changed her family's life. And it also changed her legacy. And here's what I want you to catch. When you have a need and you stay faithful to God, somehow God begins to move pieces around that you and I can't explain to provide everything that you need. Rahab's faith in God caused her to take certain action steps. And through those steps, God supernaturally provided everything she needed. How does God do that? I have no idea, but I've seen it time and time again. I've seen in my own life, I've seen it in other people's lives. When you have faith in God and you honor God, God begins to move pieces around in your life to provide everything you need. I don't know how that works. I can't explain it to you. What I can tell you for certain is it is not magic and it is not coincidence. God and his sovereignty begins to move. God begins to provide, and he opens doors of provision. Now, you might be sitting here this morning saying, but I, I have a need right now. What do I do? Stay faithful. Rahab was staying faithful. Every step of the way, she was faithful. She heard the truth. She was faithful to obeying the truth. She heard the truth, and she started changing her life because of the truth. She was faithful in providing for herself. She was faithful in taking care of the spies. She was faithful in trusting in the Lord. And that faithfulness was putting seeds in the ground that ultimately produced a harvest in her life. So you might be here this Christmas season. You say, man, I have a big need. Stay faithful. Stay trusting God, and God will provide a way. So faith in the gospel gives us a second chance. Faith in the gospel positions us for the provision of God. But the third thing I want you to see is this. Faith in the gospel message allows you to be part of God's redemption plan. You have to wonder how a woman like Rahab ended up in prostitution. I want you to think about this for a moment. We don't know a whole lot about Rahab, but when we read through this account of her life, you can see she is a smart woman. She's quick on her feet. She knows how to handle herself. She knows how to negotiate. She knows how to move pieces around. She has her wits about her. It makes it hard to imagine a woman with that kind of intelligence, that kind of, that kind of prowess could end up in a life of prostitution. But here's what we can safely assume, I think, this morning. At some point in her life, she must have ended up in a very desperate situation. 
She was in a desperate situation with a desperate need, and she had no other means or resources in which to provide for that need. And so she turned to the only thing she had, which was her body. And she sold the thing that God gave her to provide for herself. And I wonder if she regretted that on down the road. Yet, God in his provision brings her the word. He brings her the spies, and he brings her into his redemption plan. This woman that they called a prostitute, Jesus would call great, 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 grandmother. This woman that the world had written off, King David would have called her great grandma. And here's the point in all this, is that at any point when you turn to Jesus in faith, God brings you into his redemption plan. Faith in Jesus Christ starts us down a path where we play a role in the redemption plan of God. During this Christmas season that's so hectic for so many of us, when we have a ton going on, I bet there are some here that feel like they're just spinning their wheels in life. All of us get to, there, to those certain seasons where we feel like we're just going from paycheck to paycheck, where we're going from one task to the next, and it feels like Groundhog Day over and over and over again. You don't feel like you're making any progress in your purpose. You don't feel like you're accomplishing anything that God's called you to do, and you feel stuck. And I wonder if that's how Rahab felt before the spies came. She had left her life of sin behind, but now she's just trying to make ends meet by living an honest day's work. I bet she was making less money now than she was then. And I wonder if she felt like she was just spinning her wheels. But check this out. Living by faith, living the way that honored God, allowed her this second chance which positioned her for the provision of God and ultimately led her to a place where she was part of the redemption plan of God. Her waking up in the morning, taking care of business, day in and day out, making less money, was what God needed her to do in that moment because at the right time he was going to send two men her way who she needed to protect, who was ultimately going to protect her. How does God do that stuff? Again, I tell you, I don't know. But maybe you're in a season where you are being faithful like we talked about a moment ago and all it feels like you're doing is spinning your wheels. Here's what I want you to know. You are plowing ground. If you ever watched a farmer, and a lot of you have done it, plow ground, it is a very redundant business. You just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, making row after row every single day. And then you put seed in the ground, and you don't see anything happen for weeks on end. But something's happening under the soil. And through her faithfulness, through her spinning her wheels, there was something happening under the surface. And here's what the story of Rahab teaches us. God does no idle thing. When you're being faithful to him and you've put your faith in him and you've put your time in, you're being obedient, there are results that you cannot see that are working itself out. You have salvation. You have your provision. And you're brought into the redemption plan of God. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. John Owens said of Rahab, so beautiful, here's what he said. Rahab is a blessed example both of the sovereignty of God's grace and of its power, of its freedom and of its sovereignty, and the calling and conversion of a person given up through her choices to the vilest of sin. Nobody, no sin should lead to despair when the cure of God's sovereign almighty grace 
is engaged. There is no sinner, no matter their sin, that cannot be forgiven if they would turn to Jesus for salvation. I love that so much. Because Rahab, it looks like on the surface she was just used over and over again. But God brought her into the Christmas story. And we're in this Christmas season. And if there's one thing that Rahab shows us, is it shows us the power of Christ coming to us. There's so many examples of redemption played out throughout Scripture. We see it in the Exodus, the salvation of people. They were there in slavery, and then on the Passover night, they put blood on their doorposts and destruction passed over their house. But there was also a Passover at Rahab's house. Rahab and her family were to stay in that house. And when the war party came to Jericho, they were to leave that scarlet thread, that red thread in the window, and they were safe. It was another Passover. But then hundreds and hundreds of years later, there was another Passover. In the upper room, Jesus with his disciples on Passover night, he said, a new covenant I make with you. This is my body. This is my blood. And just as Rahab entered into this covenant with God through faith, we too enter into covenant with Jesus by putting our faith in him. And here's what I want you to know this morning. Faith is the pathway. In a year where chaos just seems to be reigning all around us, we need to be people of faith because through that faith, we'll find our salvation. Through that faith, we'll find our provision. And through that faith, we'll find our way and our part in God's redemption plan.